0: Come on, Jimmy, who are you going to fight against when this balloon of yours goes up? Forces of anarchy, wreckers of law and order. See? Communists, Maoists, Trotskyists, neo-Trotskyists, crypto-Trotskyists, union leaders, communist union leaders. (laughs) See? Atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government, hug the government, love the government, hug the government, love the government. Hi everybody, we're here with Scylla uh, Ross who is the Vice Principal of the Cooperative College in Manchester and uh, I'm talking to Scylla today about um, her work with the Co-op, uh, her background and we're looking at some of her research projects. So thanks for being with us Scylla. Oh, thanks very much for asking me. No problem. To be with you. (coughs) So, um, I want to start with sort of uh, a bit of bio, maybe, right? Uh, You're from...
1: Born in Liverpool.
0: Liverpool, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Families of dockers and seafarers.
0: So, good working class dock, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, And came from a background which actually... um, I mean, Gramsci would say, uh, "organic intellectual." Uh, so people didn't stay on at school, but they were very involved in things like the Independent Labour Party, Workers Education Association, self-educating uh, sort of folk.
0: Right. So that 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 desire for self-education is something that's shaped you. You would say quite um, extensively, yeah.
1: Yeah, very much shaped me. Um, and uh, that sort of early politics, which was Independent Labour Party, which was um, you know the idea of of having a different sort of world. So that was always in, in the family. Idealist, yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> very idealist, Un- unapologetically idealist. Well, That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough of us, yeah.
0: Now, I think one of the things I'm interested in, in fact, your background, like, I mean, is that uh, you've read, you, sorry, you've uh, written somewhere. You said that you you left school when you were 15. You went to work in a factory and you said, uh, and I'm putting you here, uh, I, I can use Google too. Yeah, <laughs> And you said, that was pretty awful work. Right. But you said it was nothing like it is today. Right. So what was it about that work that made you who you are, I guess?
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean, I left school at 15, which wasn't unusual then. I went to a secondary modern school. So mm. there's no great, you know, no great fallout. I, my mm. birthday fell. Before you left school, so I was fifteen when I left, and I left with no qualifications. Um, I had aspirations. I actually wanted to be a journalist. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know where that came from because I loved reading, but I didn't have any qualifications. So I went into local factory work. Uh, what what is now Littlewoods, uh, John Moores, mm. and it was uh, just about the three day week. So that was all starting. But what it, it was it was work because it was. Um, it wasn't very glorified work. Um, you know, I've worked was, in a factory as so well, it's tough. Yeah, it's I tough. But, and, I, and I'm not romanticising this, because uh, I am quite hard, I've got quite, I'm quite clear-sighted, I think. But it was then that I came across my first trade unions. So I was one of the very earliest, youngest uh, shop stewards. Um, and there was a very strong sense of collective solidarity, which there was then. Uh, even in crap jobs like that. Mm. Uh, it was at a time, you know, when you're talking... How did that
0: manifest itself, do you think?
1: Uh, I think unions had a, 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 a... Employers accepted that unions... They might not have liked it, but they accepted that unions had... I mean, you're talking when... This is a time when unions had 11, 12 million, million members. Right? That's a yeah. lot. Um, not far off 40% of, of, of the labour force, I would think. Um, so, no, so mid-30s. So there was very high density... So you just had an acceptance that trade unions were in the workplace. Um, They had, um, you know, they were still, that was when you said still had personnel rather than human resources. (laughs) So they were seen very much as a functioning part of a successful organisation, as they still are in countries like Germany. Mm. You know, that sort of, you know, it's so the social contract between employer and
0: uh, employees. Yes,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, and 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 it was uh, you know I mean the, the end of that decade, the end of the seventies. Of course, things had changed a great deal, but in the early seventies, um, there was still that sort of recognition or um, acceptance of trade unions, and so I um, I sort of got I got interested really, um, but what that did was gave me an understanding of. In, uh, injustice i suppose um even though i didn't have too tough a time of it i could see that other people who i mean i was still you know when you're 16 17 you know you're full of hope you're not going to stay there you're going to go <laughs> and do other things um you have imagination but then you look around and you see that people are in very precarious situations you know even though they might have had proper jobs um and they you know what i was doing is a sort of Job until I decided what else I wanted to do with my life. Other people had done that all of their lives, and of course, what you learn—the big lesson in life you learn—I mm. learned—is uh, that actually, you know, people are extraordinary, uh, and you know that they you have, are an idealist. <laughs> well, I I I really believe that because I don't equate intelligence with qualifications. I think you come oh, across Oh, that's very that. important. I think
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So you know, you, you you're in a factory you know on a a production line but there are people i mean there's lots of people who aren't talking about anything deep or profound but you meet the same sort of people there you would meet in any other walk of life you know some people take things more seriously than other people some people have more concerns and social concerns than others but 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 you do have that and then some people tell you what they're reading and other people tell you what they're watching so see you have that same and, and you have aspirations as well, mm-hmm. um, so I suppose I just I just had that uh, sense there that um, a lot of people weren't happy working there and they could have done something else. But guess what? They had another chance because they hadn't come from that
0: background. Um, so that that's, I think what you're talking about there is this idea of people being extraordinary, you know, irrespective of a background, irrespective mm-hmm. of economic status. So, so that people have this sort of innate capacity to improve themselves. I guess. What are your thoughts in harnessing that within an educational context? Because I guess that's what education is about. Yeah. It's about you know bringing out the best in people, bringing mm-hmm. out their capacities or their skills or their aspirations. I
1: think I think what it's fundamentally about, more than anything else in the whole world, is about. Well, some people don't want to, <laughs> and that's something you learn, you know. Because yeah, well, I remember just... when the lifelong learning agenda, everybody be out, you know, mm-hmm. learning. Loo- well, actually, some people just don't want to. Yeah, I mean, and all
0: teachers confront this at some point. They time, really do, yeah. you know, and we
1: all do, and we've seen it with with our students and so on. But I think what what, what, what is there is that the people, um, as all the classic sort of learning theories suggest, when people need to learn something or want to learn something, they, guess what, can learn it, you know, and they get very excited by it. <laughs> They're motivated by it. Um, but I think, there, I think what education does, what I learned from those early days was actually... There's two things you need, Is one, one um, certainly when it comes to working class people, you need to have the confidence.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And that's the big trick, and that's why people like the Workers' Education Association are so mm. fantastic. Why, you know, that sort of learning, which is about um, enabling people to value what they are and who they are and what they say and what they think without it being put down in any way. So that's really important. Um, but also just um, recognizing that you do it with them rather than to them, um, and that's that's a it's it, it's a funny thing education. I don't know. It's, it's somehow it feels very formal and um, something you've got to go through and very sort of austere and very lacking in joy, really. But but um, I think what. Maddened me. Um, And in fact, you know, when I look back now, it doesn't matter. I had a very happy childhood But it was rotten the way I left school at 15 Mm. because guess what? I was very bright Mm. uh, As so many people are Um, and there was no expectation I would stay on There was a total expectation that I would go into a local factory And it's wrong and when I look back and certainly some of the oral history work I've done, you know, even a generation earlier than me uh, who had such other aspirations and hopes, but you know, there was no way they could be fulfilled. So I was always, I was very, I wasn't as angry about it then as I am now. I'm actually more angry about it now. But I did recognise that a lot of people in that work environment felt very frustrated. Uh, you know, didn't feel fulfilled. Some people were fine, and you know, you just did it and you got the money and got out. But other people didn't. So there, there was always that tension, I think, in in working life. And I think. But I think what you still had then to an extent was because trade unions were still strong, um, that you still had the space to have some autonomy within the work life. Now, because of work intensification, deepening, you know, deeper and mm. deeper exploitation and so on, mm-hmm. immiseration, um, then I think the work experience is even more challenging. I mean, it's so that, so the whole lot, the whole of the sort of story of work and working life as, as and and its relationship sort of you it throughout has. your career yeah it really has and continues to do so
0: so you went on I take it to you went on to become you went on to university you became you became a lecturer you mm. worked at was it, uh, you worked at London, uh, Met, I think. Yeah, I yeah, worked, worked at Leeds. Yeah. I was at Leeds? Leeds for
1: about eight, nine years and I was at Sheffield for about yeah. four. Um, yeah, but I, I, I but my, my big thing was that I wanted, um, yeah, I mean, I, funnily enough, I went through my union because you went to an adult residential college mm. and the idea was you go back to the shop floor but nobody ever did because it's much more fun being a student. But, um, but, but then I decided that I didn't want to work with traditional undergraduates but I, I wanted to work with adults
0: and right. that's, more or that's or less, specialty, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's more or less what i've done ever since yeah. i think do you think do you think that when you know when you you kind of like when you go into a university do you think you kind of stepped out of your class a little bit and do you think is that something that introduces attention maybe with uh, you know sort of the, the background that you come from mm-hmm. uh, or maybe does it even give you a, a deeper perspective uh, when you have sort of uh, a foot and board classes and perhaps a home at night is how my wife describes it?
1: I think it's a very good question. I, I, and, and perhaps it's why I was very careful to select where I worked. In other words, I always worked in continuing ed, I, you know, mm-hmm. adult continuing education, which have got extraordinarily long traditions of, you know, wonderful uh, critical, critical thinking, you know, certainly in Leeds, E.P. E. Thompson and people like that. Mm-hmm. There? So I had very long radical traditions and I was determined, I mean, other than the couple of years where I worked in mainstream uh, undergraduate departments. So I was very careful where, where I worked, but of course there is that tension. Um, and I suppose it's it, it's one I have very easily, I've reconciled myself to, which in some ways has been easier as widening participation has, <laughs> has increased. Uh, I mean, when I, even though I went, you know, I didn't go to university when I was 25, but even then there was only about seven eight percent people at university mm. so it's very privileged and you know there's no doubt mm. about it it's very free as well um it didn't cost anything but um you know, I, I i've ne- but i've never felt that because i suppose i've and maybe it is idealism but i've always i mean intellectual life for me is as embedded in working class people as much as it is in so-called middle class so-called you know so, it, yeah, it, I, I, yeah. it, it doesn't matter about your class position in my view um, one has an intellectual life, um, and that is a, a, a life that's shared, you know. Um, you just don't have the same opportunities yeah. <laughs> to, to spend time thinking and pontificating about, it, mm. you know, and that's the tragedy
0: um, yeah. and, 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 and the injustice, actually. Now, when you went, you did your doctorate work on Raymond William Williams, is that right?
1: No, but uh, but I, uh, I'll i tell you where I came across Raymond Williams. Yes, because um, I was just interested in you talking about Raymond Williams because yeah. you've got a
0: great passion for his work. Great
1: passion for his work. Uh, and I, and and latterly I used Raymond Williams' work, certainly the Structures of Feeling stuff, on, on, on a number of big European projects. I came across Raymond Williams because my supervisor was Stephen Year, who you might know of, but he was um, he was a, a, reader at the, a professor at the University of Sussex. He then went on uh, to um, become um, the principal of Ruskin. But uh, was an absolute Williams nut and um, just got me interested, really. And then I also came across uh, later a very good... He became a very good friend, a guy called John Kirk, uh, mm. who, who died, uh, quite a young bloke. And um, his, his work was around, you know, um, on the trail of the working class. And he, he was looked at culture and, and literature... And he was very informed by Williams. So John and I together worked on a big a big sort of eight-country programme, European programme, on uh, looking at, uh, in particular, South Yorkshire and the coalfields, looking at structures of feeling uh, and, you know, using Williams as the lens, really, uh, to look at that. Uh,
0: and what is it about Williams' thought that attracts you, I think? Uh, well, I... I as, as sort of aside from the uses that, you, that, that you've sort of out- outlined...
1: I just think he's he's a um, I mean this sounds quite he well there's, he's lots of things isn't he he's uh, he has um, great clarity in his thinking and mm. his writing a yeah, wonderful writer William he's a day. wonderful writer yeah. he he's he he's a heartbreakingly wonderful writer I think uh, he's also very honest and I think um, key words is a very honest and brave book because to just use those words and put yourself mm-hmm. out there with those words is, yeah. uh, is a lot of courage but I think what um wh- why I, I I think he matters so much is he's got an incredible humility about his own intellectual life which is very important in uh, academia Yeah, well, but there's so little of it I mean it's yeah. one of the, one of the many reasons I chose to leave academia a couple of years ago not only that but you know I just mm. suddenly st- it was all becoming too potential you know it was too mm. I, yeah, if if ever I felt removed from the things that needed to be done, it was much more at the end of my working life than at the beginning mm. of universities But 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 but, but Raymond Williams, uh, I mean, right from you know little essays like Culture is Ordinary, mm. the, the way he slapped your wrist as a researcher really, if you went in, I mean, I can't even remember what it's from, but it's that notion of you know you. Um, you have to get in there, you, and 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 people are extraordinary. embedded academic, yeah, absolutely, and mm-hmm. uh, but but not in a um, in a totally respectful way, um, and he taught me things like when I when I did my PhD, I did an oral history at a time when it was very unfashionable. Actually, I had Ray Paul was my uh, my external, and I had to get permission to do an oral history, if you can believe it. That was, you know, before life stories and narratives, <laughs> as if it, you know, somehow flawed, particularly working class people's memories. I mean, heavens above. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, you use I use Williams extensively in my in, in my thesis in terms of how he talked about um, technology and that and about how you. I mean, I, the the other big thing from him is the social relationships that exist within within things we do, and I mean, he was just a long way from the Marx. I. I mean, I'd read Marx, read Capital, read everything, you know. Um, but then stumbled across a very good friend who was a sort of philosophical anarchist, so I was able to balance all his <laughs> interesting. But, but, Mar- but, but, but Raymond Williams just does that humility thing and is so clear-sighted, I think, and has a great belief in people. Great, extraordinary. Yeah,
0: me. I mean the one, the one, yeah, the one I always liked was the country and the city. It was a lovely book, you know. But just, it's very much about sort of, guess, sort of someone who exists. I mean, wasn't he the son of a train signalman? He's signal a, man? a rail worker. Rail, yeah, work, a rail yeah. worker, yeah. Mm, and, yeah. Uh, what I, what I sort of like about Williams is his ability to sort of, I am myself to pretentious now, because the a contingency of class, if you know what I mean. Like, sort of shows how, how, how the, the there is links between middle upper lower and the different sort of variations in between and he shows how you can how they're not they're not they're not they're not sort of absolute
1: no and that's of course something you learn with well it sounds I don't mean that to sound as old as it sounds what I mean is it was all very um clear to me I thought when I was a young woman Mm. his total class you know I saw things absolutely according to sort of class analysis Mm. Um, and of course you learn that that is far more nuanced Um, that you have um, you know different ways of understanding and representing who you are as a person and I think that I think that there is that humility but I'll I'll tell you just one other thing why I think where Eamon Williams is brilliant um Because what we use when we look when we use structures of feeling, it was in this how do you explain? How do you explain in somewhere like South Yorkshire, which is where I've spent a lot Mm. of my working life, the fact that you've still got an unapologetic, including young people, group of people who say, I am working class and proud of it, you know? So even at a time when politicians and policy makers would be saying there's no such thing as this, you know, What oh, is on. class, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, it, what is it about, you know, 16, 17 years old saying, I am working class, uh, you know, and that is how I identify and have a particular um, particular view of the world. Well, that, well uh, since history,
0: a sense of history, a pride, a sense of identity, a yeah. sense of belonging.
1: And really in there, and that's that's where the stretch of the feelings, you know, how, how you actually, how you explain the residual, nature of that which is still so powerful
0: right yeah we, we, well i'd like to get to talk about that because that's some of the projects that you've done most recently i yeah. think yeah that it, it is it, it does still exist um before we got to go on to your sort of your general research one thing i that you touched on that i'd like to ask you about is that you've moved out of academia just a couple of years ago into your current role as um, vice principal of mm. cooperative college you've moved away from academia uh into the real world, I suppose, as uh, everybody calls it. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, what was that transition like, firstly? And um, what is it you've brought from academia to this, to this role now and, and you're, and you're, uh, as vice-principal of the college?
1: Um, it was a very hard decision to make mm. um, because um, I like working in the university. Mm. It's a great place to work. I know there's tensions. I know it's not as easy as it used to be. I know mm. all that. But frankly, you're still paid to read and write and think and teach. There's
0: and a, that's yeah. not bad. There was worse. There's, there's, been, a there's worse the things album. in life, you know,
1: really. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a sneering way. If, if you're a curious person and, you, and you're very driven by that, then it, what better way is there to live a life? Um, and so, but, but, but I wanted to spend my last five, six, seven years um, being more of, if you like, an educational activist. And I think that's the best way I can put it, really. You know, I, 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 I also think that academics, I, I continue to call myself an academic. I, I think one can exist as an academic outside of the yeah, of course, absolutely, yeah. And I think that's quite important uh, to have, you know, to acknowledge that. Um, Still, it must
0: have taken a fair amount of courage to make that jump. Yeah,
1: well, it did, because actually your, your sort of, um, your community changes. The big, the big thing that I've enjoyed most, you you'll be unsurprised to hear, is that actually the ref <laughs> pressures off. But I was actually finding that intellectually very frustrating. Not just mm. I'm I'm actually you know a seven day a week worker, but so it wasn't the sort of pressures particularly. Although I know that's more difficult for other people. in mm. you know, my time of life I don't have particular responsibilities like you do and others. But um, I actually found it very artificial. Didn't feel I ever had the time to do what I wanted to do, or to make the connections. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of criticism of yeah. of of,
0: of, the, yeah. of the ref structures at the moment. And, I mean, they're, they're currently reviewing it. Yeah, uh, and good, do, uh, and uh, because the way we know. do research, yeah.
1: absolutely. Um, but I I actually also wanted to to, to try and look at more practice based research, uh, and to to really try and understand what was going on in this in this new in this this. I mean, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have made this decision. Five years ago, actually, I I made the decision because I'm interested to see what's happening in this post two um, thousand and eight undecided world. Uh, and it seemed to me that the cooperative idea is. So you an made a transition one.
0: in a time of great transition. I guess. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, because I'm a great. I mean, I like disruption. Quite honestly, mm. uh, you know, I mean, I'm quite into that. But, but I I, I think I I left because I thought there's going to be something interest intellectually interesting in doing it mm. what I've missed is yeah that conversation um the uh, and there is a lovely and you know some people would see it as jargon and elitist other people see it as comfort I you know there's a great comfort in being in a room full of people where you know you We're can just be you. Or, uh, well, you whatever, can be you yeah, can't yeah. you can't no, I mean, you you know like, as you would in any situation there's you know. great freedom to it at, there at is the moment, yeah. so of course I miss that um and you know they have, and and this is a this is a, a much more you know all worlds are real, but this is a is a much more, you know I mean there's no the college gets no core funding, so mm. that's, that's a challenge, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know so there's that sort of stuff, and I've had to learn how to to do some other things, make some compromises I guess, but then I'm, you make those in academia as well, so live with that. But but it but it was it, it was mainly its intellectual interest and it, and it's still keeping me interested.
0: Okay, okay. So now now that you're here, I mean you've engaged in lots of different uh, projects. Um, uh, one of the projects that you uh, would be, I think, interesting to talk about is, uh, and you've written about this for Open Democracy maybe a year or so ago, I think, uh, which is de- the decent work issues, mm. and, uh, and that sort of that little thing I quoted about that from you at the beginning you said that um, it was pretty awful when you left work but you said today yeah. it's way worse because right? you now you have sort of precarious labour casualized labour and that's a lot as you say more yeah. immiserating so could you tell us a little bit about the projects you're doing on that currently yeah,
1: yeah. I mean that, that, that piece of work was uh, a result of um, I'm, I'm, I mean although I've left left universities I still do I still write with Mm. some academic colleagues and that was a British um, council British academy grant and we wanted to look at um, work intensification in in the in parcels in the parcels sector and tied into all this is the a political concern about the shift from the public to the private in terms of employee Right. So this this is what
0: people call neoliberalism, and yeah. in the broader yeah. in the broader scheme, of, there's a uh, what the organisation of labour is more geared towards uh, private, or, well, it's organised privately, and therefore there is not there's a diminishment of the public sphere.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's certainly a large part of it. There's also um, technology, right? You know, which is is uh, you know again just going back to Raymond Williams. I mean. It, you know who who would be who would say it's not the technology that's the issue it's it's uh it's the ownership and control of it <coughs> which mm. is how he t- how he talked about television when he was critiquing that in his book television um and it's 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 this it's this thing about technology you know mm. there's a it, it is a, it is we we shouldn't we make decisions about technology and how it's used but What is starting to happen, I think, uh, is that, you know, it's the technology that's driving the work and the working life. Uh, Whereas, you know, even though it looks quite funny if we look at, and I remember this from when I first worked, you know, unions basically put the big wheel on. You know, here's, yeah, we've got these new machines. They'll make you go faster and faster, drive Mm. your wages down, slow it down slow it down now these days that would be seen as you know sacrilege but those days it was a very sensible response <laughs> because who wants to be a slave you know yeah. um, you know you're on crap money anyway you know why do you want to be a slave and be on crap money <clears throat> but that and that was just quite common industrial practice not not so it's problematic just do it reasonably what you can't do now of course with new technology everything that sort of digitally times you
0: yeah.
1: is you absolutely have no control so what we did with the research was we uh, did some rounds uh, with a uh, parcel force uh, and talked to those people who were uh, about their experience of work and, and, and what you know comparing and contrasting to how it had been previously. Mm. They weren't sort of so enthralled really to time management. Mm. Um, I mean you know it's a long you know it's a long I mean EP Thompson wrote about it in a brilliant piece about time and you know it's what capitalism, Based on really. it broke people, you know. Mm-hmm. Your first first good was your alarm clock, you know, and you'd saved up a few bob. You know. uh, so the clock and time, uh, but um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of control I think over mm-hmm. the, this sort of digital. Um, handheld device stuff and it's you know we've seen the classic one with care workers where they're in and out and you know mm, disgracefully in a few minutes. It's, you know. Well it's,
0: it's becoming more and more ubiquitous isn't it you know I mean yeah. you see I see it in academia where, sure. which would uh, what we call hourly paid lectures and things like sure. that and yeah. Yeah. I mean you, you see it in all different types of companies in all different sort of sectors yeah. as well and it's yeah. I guess you um, I guess, well, to talk positively about it, how do you see some sort of your work at the co-op co- and cooperative education in particular, maybe ameliorating the ill effects of, 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 of such casualization? casualisation?
1: Well, I mean, that's a really nice lead into what I think is my next big piece of work, which is I'm actually self-funding to go to a uh, conference in Cincinnati in December, mm-hmm. which is on union co-ops.
0: That's an interesting
1: little uh, synthesis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because what's really shocked me—the one that, I'm mean, lots of things have shocked me since it comes to the cotton movement—but I just assumed it was part of the sort of left landscape, you know. That—that mm. that...
0: it's a very, <laughs> very variegated landscape. Yeah, it I just, be, but yeah. I just
1: thought it was, you know, like the labour movement. You know, it's just be part of that because it, you know, it, it's an alternative. Of course it isn't and you know we've now got conservatives for cooperation and you know mm-hmm. I mean it's seen as very much as a sort of uh, you know privatised you know I mean it's a privatisation alternative um, mm. social enterprises and so on which you know I found uh, intellectually very difficult and politically very difficult to deal with. It seems to me though what what has surprised me although perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised was that there is a real whereas at the beginning of the 19th century you had a very close relationship between trade unions and co-ops. So, for example, most of the goods that were produced round here in Manchester in the cooperative wholesale society would say on them, made under trade union terms and conditions. Mm. There was an absolutely close relationship between the two. What happened, as you know, you'll know, it was sort of after after the middle of the nineteenth century, you know, <laughs> unions went much more into state making and and the Labour Party, and, 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 you know, co-ops were sort of, you know, they, they there was the parting of the ways. But so what you now have is uh, quite a hostile, you know, some sort of hostility from some trade unions towards co-ops because they can see, and I can understand where they're coming from, that maybe they are being used in this privatisation agenda. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got co-ops who are quite complacent, saying, well, why on earth would we need a union? Because we all get on with each other and we're all mm-hmm. mates. We're cooperators,
0: of course, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, you know, so, so, um, so, the, the, so they, they look like two quite different places. But what really concerns me is that certainly with the privatisation of social care, you've increasingly got co-ops, social enterprises, solidarity organisations running social care. And the terms and conditions of the people who work for that are no better than under uh, a traditional sort of shareholder private company. Now, that's when I get worried because I don't want to see a race to the bottom in a co-op. Well, I would presume it would diminish the
0: opportunity to cooperate. Indeed. Between uh, workers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, it you know, it, it's just it, you can't force any of these things. But all I'm trying to do is sort of re, re, refresh refresh the relationship, remind us in my work that, you know, we can work together, you know, organising in a co-op so that we've got decent work. You know, so that we've got really great solidaristic behaviors, and fairness and mm. equity. Um, it, you know, it's something to aspire to um, and something to try. and It's not impossible, you know, to to make sure your co op is union organized. And also, if we are seeing the spinning out from the you know in, from the public sector, which I'm sorry to see, but we are where we are, then unions need to look much more productively and creatively at what are you, what a good co op. Can be, i.e., workers control. You know, I mean, it's not a bit, think. You know, <laughs> think it's it's got potential here, uh, rather than just say oh, I'm not having anything to do with them because they've gone off. You know, that that's not for me. It's not the way to do
0: it. So that's what you're trying to do. I guess that's part. Yeah, of that's part. Of,
1: it's part of the just to sort of reinvigorate that conversation. I think.
0: Okay. Now, one of the other things that's really interesting to me, you've done some really nice work on uh, the idea of haunting. That that word. So I mean. Mm. Well, maybe speak a bit about that, because uh, the idea of sort of, I mean, you you don't mean it in the metaphysical sense, obviously, (laughs) but uh, uh, you talk about sort of, I guess, like um, social haunting. And I guess, guess, again, it's about that thing you were talking about earlier, like when you're talking about those young people in Yorkshire who still have this residual sense of identity with what it is to be working class, class. Yet, all around them, there is probably signs of the diminishment of all the former industries that uh, imply their parents and their grandparents' Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, 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 obviously don't take any credit for this. I uh, Jeff Bright at MMU uh, is has sort of helped to drive, got a couple of AHRC projects, um, and you know, kindly invited me in. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's a million miles away from Williams, actually. Mm. <laughs> always. <laughs> <laughs> no, always um, And I'm just trying to think, and forgive me, I, I need to remember the writer, she's a Californian, uh, and her famous book is The Sociology of Social Haunting. Um, I can let you have the rest, but um, she came over uh, to visit us, and what, what, what Jeff did, and he started it in South Yorkshire and it's really nice, so we were, we were looking at how people carry their past with them, as you say. But, of course, these pasts have often been very violent. Mm. So we looked in the first instance at the minor, you know, the minor strike being the event and then the architecture and the life, the lived life around mm, them. Because of the type of the social, uh,
0: psychogeography, I guess, yeah.
1: Absolutely. It, it is exactly that. Um, and then we tried to do a comparable piece in, in Rochdale to do with the pioneers. Which is...
0: R- the Rochdale Pioneers are the sort of uh, the f- the founders of the co op movement. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But there was a huge, the huge problem and tension was that whereas it was very rich that came out of South Yorkshire because it's in lived memories, mm. it was so lost. Uh, there was there was there was other layers of enormous tension in Rochdale. Not least, there's been some recent awful child abuse scandals mm-hmm. what have you. Um, but the the, the co y thing, which was the collective, the collectivity, and and some of the things you'd be trying to to look at and tease are, it just receded to such an extent, and is actually but Rochdale is not dissimilar to lots of places. Of course, it's a very divided town, whereas in somewhere like Barnsley, the mm-hmm. industry is still. I was going to say it's a cliche to say near enough the surface, given it was mining, but near enough the surface, you know, to to still result in that um, that that solidarity, and it doesn't mean necessarily a political solidarity, does it? In places like that, I mean, it's likely that most people mm. vote Labour, and it's likely that, most, mm. but actually, it's very, it's a much more complicated term. It's,
0: it's activities and tasks and doing things and helping people yeah. and all of these yeah. things, you know, yeah.
1: And it's who you are. Mm. It's what you actually have a very very strong moral code.
0: Yeah. And it's for, it's that's, yeah, I understand <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. One of the things that quite often defines sort of working class communities, from my experience and from reading about it, is a very very sharp and acute understanding of uh, things like um, fairness and okay. uh, equality and um, what's right and wrong. What's right and wrong is very very easy. Uh, and um, also, I think I mean I can't think of the the American writer who writes about it is the is the idea of queue jumping, you know, uh, someone who, you know someone who's a, is ahead of you um, who might get something from the government or something like that that you might not get get a benefit, and that's what sort of um, I think that's probably something we might forget perhaps when we're you know we're blaming all these Trump voters in America and all these Brexit voters in Britain that a lot of the things that come about a lot of the complaints that poor communities to have about say things like immigration is about fairness actually I totally agree with
1: you and you know what when I did my that's never gone away and it's never been addressed and that is the mm-hmm. that's the, the shame because funnily enough when I did my PhD uh, I worked in Nelson one of my grandmothers was from Nelson in North East Lancashire uh, and it was a, a it was is has been for a long time a very depressed uh, it, it used to be one of the mono-industrial communities that Orwell wrote about, you know, it was, um, had quite high wages in the 30s and so on. Um, but, since you know, introduction of technology, uh, introduction of, it, you know, the, the unions refused to have shift systems until um, mm-hmm. workers from India and Pakistan were encouraged to come in in the 60s, broke the industrial relation. Um, but actually, um, what, I mean, I... I interviewed people who live in Nelson now, lived in it, you know, 20 years ago, and they, they felt there was such a lack of, lack of fairness. But it's because they was, their starting point was so unfair. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they didn't have um, occupational pensions, mm. they were laid off because of poor health, because of the crap, you know, because there was no investment mm. made in the industry. So it was absolutely crap
0: all machine. No access to education. No access
1: magic. to education. You were just seeing, you were definitely going to be factory fodder. Mm. You know, I mean, that's all forgotten, and that is so important, and it, that doesn't make people racist, and that, in mm. my view, you know, that doesn't make people. Mm. You know, it, it is that strong. It it might manifest mm. itself as that, yeah. but at heart, it's it's life has dealt you a bloody awful hand, you know, and it's not fair, and yeah. you know, and 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 sadly. Wrongly, of course, sadly, it manifests itself in certain ways. But when these s- are very, 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 um, very, uh, I think, exploited places, you know. Mm.
0: So when you're doing, say, when you are comparing somewhere like Barnsley which, and, say, Rochdale, uh, I guess, the, I mean, is, the, is one of the differences that you see then when you're trying to think of, think through these problems... Is that, is it, Rochelle has got a um, got higher levels of immigration and Barnsley doesn't?
1: Well, that's what's so amusing. I mean, it's not, none of it's amusing, but what I mean is actually there's a massive Brexit vote in Barnsley, mm. but it's got an incredible, must be one of the whitest, t- but a, really, <laughs> yeah. but actually, um, I mean, I've heard some, some some of the vilest things I've ever heard in, and I've been doing oral histories in places mm. like Barnsley, which is, well, there's a lot of them here, but you can't tell. Because they're Polish and they've got the same color skin, mm. you know. So the hatred's still the same, but you know, you can't, they, you can't spot them the same, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's. I'm, sh, sh, you know, as a North, mm. as a passionate Northerner, and as, a, you know, he's always believed in the progressiveness of of of, of the North, you know. I, 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 it's hurtful to have to say these things, but it's true. Um. So I, I, it, that that level, that that, um, fear of or that hatred of strangers whatever it is but i think i think it's just a longer history of um hopelessness really Uh, now raymond williams if he was sitting here would tell me off because actually nowhere's hopeless and there is life and it goes on and people do make things i accept all that but these are generations of people who frankly have been you know for generations yeah yeah. not just like 10 minutes you know i mean generations um where the opportunities have been very very limited that makes me angry
0: yeah Um, and um, so then when you're looking at these communities like Barnsley, like Rochdale, where do you see the opportunities arise for far social justice, far regeneration, far bringing these communities together? Because this is something that you're doing in your project in Rochdale specifically, I yeah. think, isn't it, Gem?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're trying to do that in Rochdale. Um, and it's it, difficult,
0: I'm sure, yeah. Well,
1: it's probably some of the hardest work I've ever had to do in a way because um, I mean, the last time I did this sort of work, I mean, I did it actually when I was at... Um, you know, it was a Sheffield, so you know that's twenty odd years ago. But that um, my my brief was sort of out in communities, because um, I used to run you know various sort of community um, outreach programs and uh, deliver HE and, yeah. in the coalfields and stuff. But um, but twenty years—it's a long time—and um, people are even seem to me even harder to reach, um, or rather have turned in more on themselves because they are nervous about um well they're just trying to survive aren't they really yeah, <laughs> frankly yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah it's bottom line you know it yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't mean they're less kind or less none of that mm. but they are having you the know life, life is harder mm. life is harder uh, you know with benefit cuts and all, mm. all the rest of it you know it is no doubt harder um so it, it, it is challenging. Uh, what what
0: what? Does to... solidarity last? Do you think? Uh...
1: No, no, because but because I think solidarity is there, but I think it's in different places, and I mm. think it's in. Um, I I suspect it's as much in within communities, but those communities are harder to get into. Mm. Uh, there isn't that, and I I would you know well, however you define community. Mm. There are many, many, many. Uh, but they are, uh, it seems to me like people are sort of closed a bit, closed down a bit. It mm. doesn't mean they're not expressing solidarity within. Um, I mean, I don't know, actually. You mm. have no idea. But you know, people fun- continue to function it, and, mm. and live lives. But um, I think it's harder in places like Rochdale now. Uh, what we're trying to do is to start, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have started from this, Oh, in my, you know, when I used to say, oh, all we need to do, almost false consciousness, you know, all we need to do is just talk about it and then everybody will say, oh, God, that's how it really works. <laughs> uh, but actually, where do we start now? What do people need? People, and, and and there's been so much work done, including work by brilliant people like Rochdale Mind, doing fantastic work with mm. young people, you know, really peer, peer-to-peer stuff, really good democratic mm. work. Uh, what do you want? You know, you ask a 25-year-old, I want a decent job.
0: A decent job, yeah. No more. Yeah. I want
1: a job. I want a decent job. And whatever, you know, that would have been when I was that age I'd, oh, I don't want paid right. work. But it's fine. So so that's what they want. So how do we start? How do we have to address that? And I think one I think that's where co-ops are quite interesting because mm-hmm. they're about livelihood building. They are about being decent with each other about decent work. They're about uh, owning something yourself.
0: Making yeah, I guess. Making.
1: Yeah. I always use the word, I won't use the word imagining anymore. I insist on using the word making. Let's get on with it. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where we've got to start. Um, but you know, Patrick, this, the big thing that the pioneers always had was you know, you learn to, you learn, cooperative education is about learning to be and learning to do. And, you know, just being plonked into a co op is not enough. It's not sustainable. It will. Mm not you know it's not the thing it's not enough but you have to learn to believe in that if it's the right thing for you Mm. and you care about it and you're passionate about it and that means learning what being a cooperator means you Mm.
0: know well i mean you get you have to start with talking to people don't you (laughs) because i think isn't that isn't that what has defined um these rather large bricks that a lot of the communities in britain have thrown through sort of the Metropolitan Window. Yeah. to use a violent metaphor. Yeah, I I don't like right. using violent Metaphors, but uh, and, in, and in the United States, possibly as well, is that uh, that no one is talking to them or no one is listening. I guess so. Is the start.
1: I really agree with you, and um, and I think the other thing you have to learn, and and uh, and this takes you back again to Williams, is uh, you're you're often going to hear things you don't want to hear. <laughs> but that's what you've got yeah. to listen you but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen and it doesn't mean that you can't that all you can try and do is in, is is um, underst- understand as much as you can because uh, that is their lived lives and you know mm. that is their experience and that's what you've got to work with mm. and that's all that's the only place you can start you know really I think. And that's why it's a very, very slow process. And I think we've got, um, I mean, you know, I, I feel really passionately about, um, I, I don't think working class people have ever had a proper education in this country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, the only time they vaguely got a sniff of it was, well, twice, once when it was technical education so we could compete mm-hmm. in global markets in the late 1890s. And, and, and the second time was, you know, a modicum of, of um, re- redistribution after the Second World War. Uh, but how how shameful it is that we've still got a private education system <laughs> that rich mm. people can go to. You know, how shameful is mm. that? I mean, what's good enough for the ruling class is good enough for the workers, you know, bang. Mm. We should all have brilliant... If we can't give our children, doesn't matter what else in some ways, if we can't give all of every child an absolutely brilliant education, whatever that is, mm. then when I don't think we're doing a, a very good job. And, you know, that... that and it its still the thing that drives me in terms of what, what we're trying to do in places like Rochdale, I suppose.
0: Now, one of the one of the things—I um, just got a couple more questions for you um, before we finish up. But the one of the things, well, you spoke about that you sort of like sort of innovation and disruption in education. Do you, do you see the sort of new technological developments in education as um, as posing challenges to how we, you know, we conventionally have seen education delivered. You know, uh, and is that a good thing? Uh, is all this disruption necessarily going to foster that solidarity? Because I know, well, and, I, and you know as well. Uh, so like, I mean, there's a lot of people who, are, who who see these uh, any form of disruption is necessarily bad. I guess you know, or uh, even things like automation. You know, in education, uh, are these things well? Well, maybe I'll pose a question to you. How do you, how does one generate solidarity It is this very, very, very crucial and, and changing time, uh, with regards to technology?
1: Well, it is it is possibly the biggest challenge we've got. Um, yes, I agree completely. And, I really and, think and, so and
0: across society. Yeah,
1: and and but, but 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 I I do take us back to that it's not the technology that's the problem. It's the ownership and control. It's about the power in it um, yeah. and how it's used. And that sounds trite. But mm. it is true. In my view, mm. that remains true, mm. um, and you know, right. There's been a long history of the of people believing that um, technology has is libera- liberation mm-hmm. within it. You know, the end of meaningless work, yeah. and meaningful life. Um, that's not how it's panned out. Although, of course, in some ways, in some elements, that's that's the case. So. You know I, I i'm not angry with technology and I, I i and the big the big conversation the big discussion is is how do we make it work for us as a global as a global mm.
0: society
1: um so that's one set of question that's one massive question but there's another big question which i, I you know i find quite challenging to myself i went to a, a lecture by um verdi who came to do something for the wa and uh he was just sort of saying, you know, what we've got is an education, a uh, you know, nineteenth-century education system for a twenty-first-century society. So, for example, why do people need to know maths? <laughs> why do people need mm. to know handwriting? Why would you bother when you know it's, it's got? I like the sound guy already. I can do none of those things. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and and this was a room full of, of really lovely adult educators. Most of them were given their lives passionate about equality. You know, good mm. WEA people. And there's like, you could almost hear the breath in draw, But his line would be, you know, we are where we are. That's, you know, that's what we've got. Why would you, why would you waste your time when you can be doing much more creative things than using technology in what are very traditional assumptions about what learning is? Much more interesting to develop, you know, critical thinking or whatever, mm. whatever it is. Um, and so I'm open to that. Um, I really am. And that's quite a hard thing for someone who came from a background like mine, which although it wasn't a particularly, um, it wasn't a a school, you know, it wasn't a a traditional educational background, but there was a reverence for learning Mm -hmm. and for educated people. Uh respect for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and even yeah. my father, you know, who's a radical, he used to say, Well, I don't think we should just get rid of the House of Lords because think of all the learning they've done. A real reverence for learning. You know. <laughs> That's changed, I think. Changed. Yeah, yeah, really. Well, it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. this case. But, but that was that belief, mm. you know, that belief that good learning was, um, would help so how, how do we come from.
0: From that to uh, uh, Michael Go saying we're sick of experts.
1: Oh, <laughs> good point. Absolutely mm. very, very valid point. Um, so, so, so I think we've got to be open to that and, and uh, to, to different ways of doing learning. And actually, I am really. I mean, I I get the network society. I, you know, where does the value lie now when you've got everything out in the commons and things mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like? Well, actually, it's still about people like you and me mm. sitting in a room. So it's still mm. about humans. We yeah. do the learning out where we need to do it, but then it's how we actually. You know, do what we need to do with it, uh, with that learning, uh, and, and and put that into practice and what have you. So I'm very, very open to that. Um, it is challenging. It is challenging for people, but you know, it takes us right back to. Um, I've been asked to sit on this um, commission for uh, political. It's in a funny place, actually. Uh, it's St George's Chapel in Windsor Castle,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's, a, it's 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 uh, it's a commission on political education for democracy. Fantastic. Because why don't we have political education in schools? Mm. To me, that's the big, huge elephant in every room. You know, because maybe if we had that, some of these, some of this conversation, (laughs) part. You know, Uh, why is it we don't have what we call political education right from you know that age up? Um, Because um, then we might be able to make more informed choices about how we do things. But also how we deal with technology. You know how how do we make it work for us?
0: Mm. I mean, is it this is something you're in, in the co-op college itself? You use technology, I presume, or you, yeah. you encourage people to use it? And
1: well, I do. Um, I, I do. Um, I'm not. I mean, I'm not as cutting edge as some people, because I I'm, because I'm also an adult educator, and you know, most research shows us that certainly when we going back right back to where we started, confidence de- deficit so-called uh, you know then people still like to meet they like to talk you need to build up the relationships um, and, and, and that's fine it's the classic thing about you have different ways of doing learning with different people um, but, but you know all I know is that it can uh, that it's where we go it's where we are and it's where we're going so how do we use it in a way that is is of great value to us you know as a, as a society and I'm just I, I, and I think it's so important that we are open to it um, and you know I'm, I'm quite happy to see our, our assumptions about learning sort of disrupted in that sense I don't have a problem with that at all
0: okay now I've got two uh, I guess brief questions for you I mean as, as vice principal, can I just I ask what is your what's your average day like? what do you what do you what do you do when you when you get you, you, you come into work and how does the day pan out for you? what the types of people do you talk to? All
1: right. Um, well my day starts by setting the clock at five.
0: Good heavens. and I
1: do at least uh, at least um, an hour and a quarter's emails. Uh, it's sad but uh, such as our life these <laughs> days, yeah uh, that's how it is. Um, and then I, then I get the train to work um, and then, and, and then I, it's mainly meetings actually but it's, it, what's really interesting and I'm very glad, I think it's happened more and more since I've come into post so I'll meet people like Self, uh, then I'll be going out to somewhere like Roch I'm very hands on mm. so I want to go out and do, run a session for a group of Bangladeshi women in Rochdale um, I'm happy to do a series you know, I'll do a webinar um, I'll go and talk to Andy Burnham I'll go and you know I, I'll mm. do what needs to be done. At the same time, I'm trying to conceptualise thinking around the property of university, which is mm. the big project at the moment. And I've my intray is just like I can't describe what it's like with all these disgruntled
0: mm. I'll professors. I just thought a listener a very big hand gesture there. Yeah, <laughs> but all these disgruntled,
1: fed up professors who you know up and down the land <laughs> who are saying, "Oh, I think it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> Help, let me in." Um, so it's really quite interesting. Uh, so so my problem is that my day's like that because I I'm I bring it on you know and I, I'm always interested in doing yeah. some of the different things uh, and then then m- luckily my well my partner is an academic and we go home and I try and get an hour's writing in if I can
0: that's a long day it's a that's long a, day yeah. that's a long day but you enjoy it clearly yeah, yeah I
1: do and I'm really enjoying working the cart movement because um, it's, uh, um, it's full of brilliant people it's had some difficult times you know you'll be aware of various scandals mm. Um, it's it's whole you know its whole shape and character has mm. changed beyond belief. Mm. Um, but it's still and, and then the other big part of the working with the college is its international work. So that yeah. I normally do something you know with uh, yeah. just touch base with a lot of people. But that's
0: something we probably forget that the co-op movement is absolutely global. I can yeah. I mean a lot of that comes through the college here, doesn't it? It does. so, yeah.
1: I'd say about. Probably almost fifty percent of our work is international. We work massive uh, support from people like the Scottish Government, big projects in Malawi and Rwanda, mm. all about capacity building. Not us going and saying this is what you need to do to be yeah. a cooperator, but actually sustainable stuff. You know, teams on the ground doing you know mm. from local places. And, um, just you know, just look. So, so so and then I'll do some curriculum development as well and mm. research. So there's a there's mm. a lot <laughs> there's a lot to look at. Yeah.
0: So. What would you say then? What advice would you give to say to uh, a young person who is working, not even a working, any young person who wants to get into co-op, uh, being a cooperator or getting into cooperative education? What advice would you have for them, perhaps after all your experience?
1: Well, I think um, I think we are seeing some great young people come through into the cooperative movement because actually um, they're seeing it as a we're seeing a growth because they see it as an alternative to traditional full time work, which ain't there anymore. Um, but and, and, there, and, the, and the more thoughtful cooperators are thinking creatively about cooperative education. What is it? And you know what's really fascinating, Patrick, is it's just like the pioneers talked about. But
0: um, well, them, themselves work in a time of great technological and educational totally, disruption. Yeah. Totally,
1: absolutely. That's why I, I usually preface any, and I'm speaking at the COP party the week after next, and that is exactly what I'll start with moments of great disruption. The brilliant Karl Marx quote about all that's solid melts into mm. air. Exactly the same now as it was then. Mm. Um, but what you've got because of uh, you've got some great people in the
0: co-op movement, young, young, people, young cooperators,
1: yeah. who are saying things like, "I'm doing my learning through being a cooperator."
0: Learning through doing, yeah.
1: And that is really extraordinary. So um, I, it's just like uh, that. That side of things is very, very interesting at the moment. And you know, I think we're taking off into. Into something, so it's it's a great it's a great movement. It just needs more young people. It needs more young, confident
0: people. I think confidence, yeah, yeah. So one last question: You still an idealist?
1: (laughs) Of course, can't you tell?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you, Zillah. Thanks for being with
1: us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Come on, Jimmy. Thank you for listening to The Well. Our theme tune is Love the Government by El Papa Giraffe and is licensed under Creative Commons. You can follow us on iTunes or your preferred podcast app.